One talk two. Talk two, talk three. Check one, check two. Check, 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 mic check. Ooh, weird flex. Check, 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 check. Now, who's winning? <laughs> I guess you. <laughs> We're losing every minute of every day. What's sad is I like I really like my story, but whatever. But not yourself. I like the story, not myself, and that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Here's the deal, dear readers. First of all, we're so happy you're here. Oh, here's what I wanted to say. Can we just agree that recording this way where we can see each other over our computers <laughs> is just objectively you're so much... like we can't see each other. Just because you're on a chair and I'm... <laughs> I'm a... sorry. There's the delivery box. Yeah, you're right, Carrie. Were you just going to say this was ideal? As the, like, bread truck flew past (laughs) and all the loaves of bread hit the window? (laughs) So much noise. This is not ideal. Whatever. Dear readers, here's the deal. We're we're running on empty. We're running on, like, borrowed. Here's another one. We're running on borrowed Should we shut the window? The thing is, is we need air... Matt. <laughs> right. No, here's what I wanted to say. In Brooklyn, I'm usually sitting in a pretty uncomfortable chair. How dare you? It's a comfortable chair, but for sitting two hours in that chair... It's not comfortable at all. <laughs> all right. Do you, you know what I mean? Agree. You would like a fancy Muji beanbag chair. I do. But more importantly, sitting like this, I have a beer in my hand... I have a pillow over my lap. My legs are stretched in front of me, elevated. Feels great. Okay, here's an idea. Here's my idea. You here's just my have pitch. full mom voice because you went, Okay, okay sweetie, I'm, I'm listening to you. I hear your needs. And I'm super patiently going to respond. That's my favorite Quinn moment because it's happened to me a couple times where we'll be in the car and I'll be like, I need this. What's the direction? And Quinn's like, mm-hmm. So I'm doing something else. So... I can't help you because if I help you, I'll have to kill you. But I bet Matt could help you with that. It's that. It's that. <laughs> hey, Matt. Oh, my God. It's so... You, my sister, does that, too. Brianna and I both have, like, the... We're totally about to have our brains melt, but we're going to be here for you, voice. Here's the thing. I do that to you, too. Mm-hmm. When I am tiptoeing, when I'm like... How can I help you? You're right. You know what? I'm probably just giving you back what you're giving me. I do it all the time. And I do it to people too. Like I've had the biggest problem I had. I've had a lot of problems with ex-boyfriends, but one problem I had was I was about to lose my mind. It was after a show we were doing together and I hadn't eaten and I was fucking starving mm-hmm. and I, he picked me up and we we're going to go to dinner and he picked me up. And the first thing he said is, is what do you want to eat? And I looked at him and I said, first of all, I love you. You have to know I'm so hungry right now. I cannot make a decision and I will get mad at, I will get mad at you. And I know this is really hard. I even was like, this is a lot to put on you, but I'm hungry. I don't know what I want to eat. I need you to make the decision. And if there's any other discussion, I will be mad at you about it. (laughs) But I feel like I, like, laid out all the information, and then inevitably we got in a fight two seconds later. Because he was like, I just feel like, and I'm like, now's not the time, actually, oh, for no, your feelings. No, 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 you're like, burger, pasta, like, salt. Go to Joe's Pizza and, and get a have... fucking slice, and let me fucking ram it down my throat. And then go to dinner. And then we're fine. And, and then, then decide we're eating dinner. And then I can be a full human. But, like, if someone has, is having a conversation with me and I'm hungry... It is game, set, match, O-V-E-R-D-E-A-D-D-O-A, time of death now. (laughs) Time of death now. Time of death hangry. Happening current. T-O-D? A-O-R-A. A-O-R-A-S. A-O-R-A-S. Dead. Muerto. You are. 
<laughs> You're muerto, man. Tu muerto. Right. And that's, and you know. And that's Spanish, And though. that's just Spanish, so. We're <laughs> bilingual. I don't know if you listen to the podcast. You should hear the translation of this podcast. It is chaotic. <laughs> it is challenging to get through. Look, All you might I... have already noticed we're having wine. Well, you are. Okay. I'm having enough wine for us. Carrie's having a Samuel Adams because it's the 5th of July. It's July. It's the 4th. It's the 5th of July. But more importantly, I started with beer. I think I got to end with beer. And I'm sharing a room tonight. Hey, dear readers. Oh, God. This is true. Guess who I'm sleeping with tonight? Matt and Koa. Carrie's sharing a room. Carrie's in the kids' room with Matt and Koa. I've shared I'm in the room master with- room. Alone. Here's what's funny. Somehow. Can I just tell you the funniest thing, actually? Please. I've slept more with you and Matt than you have with each other this trip. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> We've never slept in the same room. No, and I've slept with We've both of you. alternated sleeping in the room with, with you. Me. Is so, there a problem? <laughs> no. Not clear. No, but it's nice because it's really this, uh, this, uh, you know, will they, won't they of... <laughs> What divorce? (laughs) (laughs) Guys, I don't know if you know this, but when you have a toddler and a baby, and I really hope that the moms out there that have this are going to write me and say, yep, 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 yep. (laughs) It's like when that happens, you do not connect on a level that is anything like being in a relationship, not sexually, not emotionally. Emotionally, not a, not a word even. You don't make words. You're Could planning. You just hold for truck, please. <laughs> you're on a baby planning committee. Totally. And you're planning your next step. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my god! So loud. We're like on a busy street with the window open, recording. Like, this is the least professional thing we've ever done. Here's the I'm thing. I'm ashamed of us. Here's the thing. We... There's just tons Okay, I am going to shut the window. Because, like, I don't know that it'll even it's make heavy, it better. It's heavy, so be careful. But it can't get worse. Like, Wow, Quinn. That's already so much better. Can you even believe how much better that is? Did you ever know that I'm your your hero? I'm everything you really want to be. Matt and I equally parent, equally work. Totally. As a result, when Griff goes out, he wears this jacket. I don't know, whatever the fuck. My point being, every single time there's a decision to make, both of you, Matt and I both have to make the decision. Totally. Equally, and we have to agree on it. And we're both um, extroverts and we're both bossy, both of us. Mm -hmm. So you've got two bossy people that think they have the right idea. And no one's willing to just be like, you decide. That's your bodega. That's your, the, you know. And as a result, we have like a 10 minute conversation about what food Koa should eat that day for lunch. Slash, if Griff should wear socks or booties, if we go to the beach or nothing at all. And then it's like, we'll bring both so that we can fight later about it. <laughs> and it's like, it's totally batshit crazy. The amount of meetings we're having that are like let's well, discuss the CF. day well like so antiquated wise mom was ceo of the house mm-hmm. dad was like cfo of the house right like so it was like the ceo made the decisions the cfo followed and like made sure that it made that happen right like that's an antiquated version yeah right now you're co-ceos and mm-hmm. you're co-presidents of the house and that's really fucking hard because usually, like, it's easier when one person is making that decision because it's like, okay, okay, okay. But I also find, too... And when you're both in charge of, let's say, even just packing right. to go get, uh, to go to the park. Yeah. And then you get to the park and you're like, he doesn't have his teething ring and he seems to be having teething pain. The instant thing is we're both upset it's not there. And we're both not sure if we can get away with blaming the other. Matt would totally disagree with this, by the way. Totally. Um, but that's part of the problem. 
But we would be like, oh, you didn't bring the teething. Oh, you didn't bring the teething ring? No, 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 no. Oh, was it my responsibility to bring it? It's that. And it becomes a fucking monster nightmare. Well, we talked a little bit today because I don't have a personal life. um, So we can't talk about mine. Although, guys, don't worry, I'm back on Hinge, so, like, hopefully we're going to have some dates coming up. So that swipe I can left soon, right? Which is the one you like someone. I think like you want to swipe right on someone. If, yeah. There's okay. been some cute guys. I saw, actually, I should show you. I haven't showed you. Could you go out on a date in Maine? Should you no, go out on a date I mean, in Maine? It's no. New York. I mean, we have, by the way, there have been a lot of cute guys up here. In Maine? Yes. yes. I've oh, noticed. Totally. I thought at the park today there were lots of cuties. Lot, the park I wasn't seeing it. But here's what we were talking about today at the park that I thought was really fun. Was Quinn and I were talking about, and it's funny, we talk about things in life and I'm like, I should have saved this for the podcast. We were talking, it was so nice about you and Matt that like you're the to-do person and Matt is the stop and smell the roses mm-hmm. person. And mm-hmm. like how beneficial it is to have both represented in your life. Because like... The person that has you do, like, the to-do stuff is going to pull you towards that direction. And the person who's stop and smell the roses person is going to pull you in that direction in a way that's, like, so great. Right. I think what's happening in our relationship that is working, for the kids at least, is that I'm the guy that writes, stop and smell the roses. Here's the, I'll drop a pin where they're located and I'll schedule an appointment. And we'll arrive to stop and smell the roses. And you're like, we did it. We'll fight the whole way because I got to get them there. We'll get there and I'll be like, everybody smell the fucking roses. And Matt really will. And he'll like get the kids to. And he'll be like, guys, these roses. Smells so and sweet. And all meanwhile be like on Where the phone making sure the next appointment's in line. And being like, everybody get in the car. I'm going to start it so that the air conditioning's on. And we'll get in and then we'll get like half a block away and Matt will be like, did you smell the roses? And I'll be like, definitely not. I've got no time for nonsense. But the whole thing was my idea. I mean, it kind of works great for the kids. They get the best of both worlds. Chill it out, take it slow. Then we'll rock out the show. We got the thank a smiley. That's the best they have. They have us, and that's what they've got. They can't trade us, so they've got to make they the best can't. of it. Would you trade them? My children? Mm-hmm. Would I trade them? Can I, is it a white elephant thing? Can I see what I'm trading them for? Or is it blind? No, I, I can't make a blind actually, trade. Actually, I need to blind trade someone. This is the, actually for me in my practice, I do need to blind trade someone because that's dating someone new and I need to do that. Do you know what I mean? In what world are you blind trading? Like I have an ex-boyfriend, whatever. We all do. Brag about it, Carrie. I know. But like... What I'm doing is I'm doing a white elephant with myself with every date I go on. Where I'm like, is this better? Is, is this, this better, better than the ex-boyfriend? No, nope. worse. Is this better than... No, worse. Ah, the same. Oh, Would rather go back. Hard. It's like it's like I feel like I'm white elephanting myself all year long. That is hard. Truly, I just want to have a fucking crush on someone. The best. Isn't that the greatest? You guys have me. to know we went to a bar the other night and I couldn't figure out boy I sound like a good parent we went to a bar the other night with the kids Avi and <laughs> Carrie was holding Griff and we went up to the bartender and Carrie kept going your child what were you saying you were like I was like your baby do you needs want me to still hold your baby your I baby still, needs you I think your baby wants you I think your baby and, and I was like Carrie you're being real annoying like hold the baby or don't like or fucking. don't but stop talking to me about how my baby needs me then I Carrie was like Quinn I'm obviously trying to get everyone in this bar to understand. These are not my these kids. These are not my kids. I am a single woman ready. Not to like meet I was people. gonna be like, hey Quinn, Matt, you guys get yourself home. I'm gonna hang out here at this bar, wish me luck and I go home. I wouldn't do that. Definitely makes the flirtation though a little easier when you're not totally. when you're like Aren't and I the fun that place auntie. had the best oysters we've ever had. It was five you o'clock not in the afternoon. Fresh it was like, oysters it's like three this. hours out of the water in your life. And Carrie and I got away from <gasps> the kids for two seconds. Well, we this had what Griffin. Happened. Griffin was we Griff, but we, he was in a stroller and he was happy. We got away from Matt and Co <gasps> for a minute. They were on a, their own adventure, and we happened to run into a seaside <gasps> sailboat side bar it that was, was adorable on the water. So cute, so happening. 
the whole ground was made of like crushed oysters. We walk in, we get some wine, we have a moment. Matt and Koa show up. They found That's us. That's who we meant to meet, but oh boy, did they change the vibe, which is to say, <laughs> we're having wine, looking at the water, we're like feeling good, feeling beautiful. And Ko walks up, kind of yells at me, has a whole thing, and then jumps on Carrie, who he loves, knocking her wine all over her linen jumpsuit. She now has no wine and is covered in wine at the same time. And Koa, you have to know, we saw was doing it out of love and excitement. And so it's this tricky thing where you have to be like, how do you discipline? Oh man, you really wrecked the whole day, but you got to say it in three-year-old love language. So you got to be like, do you get how you didn't mean to fucking wreck the whole day, but you did? No, just kidding. That's not what we said. But we were like, dude, uh, got to apologize to Aunt Carrie he for just spilling. Was so his little body, he was like busting out of his body. We said, like, you spilled, my wine. we said you spilled her treat. <laughs> and then he was like, I spilled a tweet wink. That's what he said. Okay, wait, I'm sorry I spilled your tweet wink. <laughs> Plus he's cock blocking her. She's having a hard trip. You know what? We all are. Let's we do some talk. stories. It's been 30 minutes. <laughs> are you serious? It's 28 minutes. Here's the thing. We got a lot to say. Oh, that was Who funny. goes first? Can you I? do? Yes. All right. Great. So mine's from Wikipedia as usual. WMI Central, Huffington Post, and this is a dead giveaway, but www.traviswalton.com. This is the Slash story. ordinary. Slash HTML. <laughs> Y'all, it's Wednesday, November 5th, 1975. There's seven guys working in Apache Sitgreaves National Forest. Do I feel like I said it right? No, I feel like I said it wrong. Thanks for checking in. By the way, you're listening to Truly. Darkly. Creepily. I'm Quinn LaPoster. And I'm Carrie Epamont. Keep going, Quinn. (laughs) Thank you. Travis Walton and six dudes are working on the Turkey Springs tree thinning contract so you gotta thin those trees yeah so the vegetation grows on the bottom of the forest floor oh you know about this no i made that up but it sounds right doesn't it yeah that is right it promotes faster growth their boss is this guy mike rogers he's 28 and he's the oldest of the seven men oh wow so just give you a pick travis has got a saw in hand he's going at it alan's there john goulette Dwayne Smith, Kenneth Peterson, Steve Pierce, they're all, uh, they're doing their job, man. They're working their way up the strip. That's the, uh... It's the lingo. Yeah, I learned the lingo for this. I went deep. Travis said that he was being really careful because you're cutting down trees, so it's good to be careful. But Dwayne, this guy that's working with them, is kind of inexperienced, he says, and... He's working a little too close to people, which can be dangerous and maybe just annoying. Their boss, Mike, is getting further and further away from them. So as a result, Steve that they're working with is like, ah, Mike's not very close and kind of starts slacking off because the boss isn't around and he's uh, not paying attention. So he's getting lazy. Everyone's a little annoyed. But they're, you know, they're all in this together. They got. I think the issue is they all have to get this job done together. Totally. So when one guy's slacking off, you're not like, you're not like, ha, ha, ha. way to go, way to fuck the boss. You're like, um, you're, you're literally fucking, me, fucking me. Yeah. So there's a little bit of stuff there. Steve's in a shitty mood because this new guy I told you about, Dwayne, keeps making shitty mistakes and then they all get blamed for it. Yeah. They're getting closer and closer together and the saws are all going so it's sort of getting deafening and suddenly Travis sees a shadow moving behind him and jumps and a tree falls and just misses him and when he looks Alan's there and he's like giving like a cute mischief smile about it. Not cute Alan by the way like almost kill you not a cute prank not at all. Not a fun joke. Yeah. But he's like, oh, that's kind of on brand for Alan. He's a dick. It gets darker. It gets colder. It's time to go home. It's time to beat it. So they pack up the equipment and the saws and they all like get back in the truck. What I just gave you was just like taste of a day in the life. You know, these are who these guys are. This is their vibe. Right. They're all like, here we go. Mike, their boss, is the driver. They get in the truck 
It's an hour and 20 minute drive that they're doing back to their town. (gasps) They're cracking jokes with each other. Suddenly, Travis notices a light coming through the trees. It's like a hundred yards away. He thinks maybe it's headlights, maybe it's a fire. (gasps) But slowly the joking around in the back of the truck gets quieter as everyone else is clocking it. And they're like seeing something too. Mike's like, guys, what do you see? Because they're all sort of, there's a hubbub. Right. So Mike's like, or like guys, they're what's talking, up? hanging out, and then all of a sudden there's like a hush or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going and Mike's on. driving, so he's like, guys, what's what's going on? And Dwayne says, uh, I don't know. It looked like a crashed plane hanging in a tree. Like they can't figure out what this what they're is. looking at is the issue. So they drive to a place where the view becomes more. Uh, unobstructed and this guy John one of the workers is like stop stop the truck and Alan yells my god it's a flying saucer no 30 yards away 20 feet above the ground there's a huge fucking I guess flying saucer there's a disc and it's just floating there and it's, it's not like, in the trees. It's just floating above it's it? It's just floating. It's eight <gasps> feet deep. It's like 20 feet long. There's a white dome over the upper outline of the ship. Wow. So it feels like very much out of a book. That like... Cartoon. It's a cartoon It's a cartoon saucer. flying saucer that they see. So Travis jumps out of the car. They're all like, whoa, 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 what? Do, 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 don't. Like, get, I don't know why they had a stutter, but they, they didn't. They were like, don't. They watch him and he walks closer to this fucking death wish. Travis UFO. Death yeah. wish. Then they hear a strange blend of low and high pitches and mechanical sounds all together, which sounds very disorienting. The noise gets louder, louder, louder. They're about builds to be taken. To like this They're big about to be hum. taken. It's like a generator, right? Totally. Like, mm-hmm. You've heard it in all of the movies where it just gets so, so loud, so, so loud. It's like... A blue-green ray shoots from the bottom. Travis says he heard nothing. He just felt a numbing force that was like getting, I don't know, struck by lightning. Like electrifying. Yeah. It knocks him the fuck out. From the guys in the truck's perspective, it looked like he got blasted as well by lightning or something. His body lifted and shot backward a bunch of feet and hit the ground. And they freak and drive away. Like they're like, fuck! You know, like they jump totally. They're already in the car. Travis got out to look. They're like, go, go, go. They gun it. Mike drives like crazy, weaving like a lunatic. And he's trying to look behind him and all he sees is like blurry lights. So I'm sorry if I missed this. Was Travis in the car with them? Did they get Travis? Yeah. Okay, they no, did. no, no. He's no. still out of the car. Yeah. He <gasps> got blown the fuck back by the UFO. And they and just they left beat him. Uh... Of course. Oh my God. Get a grip. It's alien attack. You're not like, is that a moment where it's like, be brave? I want to see you be scared. Do what you want to do. Leave. And flee the UFO. Leave. Honestly. Leave. I want to see you leave now. Leave. Okay, great. They do. They leave. And they're yelling. And they're freaked. And they're like high as fuck on adrenaline. And they're like, what just happened? What just... Like, imagine they're driving away. And they're like, what just happened? What'd you see? What'd you see? What'd you see? What the fuck did that do to... Should we go back? Should we go back? No. Fuck no. Like, I am... Don't know what they're saying, but I think that's what they're saying. Mike's like, you guys, we have to go back. Then he sees something the others don't. It's the disc through the trees. So the saucer. And it floats up to the level of the trees and then speeds off. They start driving again. They're fighting. They're like, what should we do? And Mike's like, you guys, enough fighting. I want to go back. I want to see what happened. And whoever doesn't want to go, just get the fuck out of my truck because I'm driving. So that's the decision I made. 
And if you don't want to go, you don't have to go. Love that. Everyone's maybe too embarrassed to be the guy that's like, I'm I'm out. So they're all like, okay. So toxic masculinity and fear create the perfect blend that get all these guys to go look (laughs) for their friend Travis. And they can't find him. They can't find any sign of his being there. Even remember he got blown back. There's like nothing that indicates that. So they give up and they get back in the car and they're like, forget this. Let's actually go to town. Travis wakes up. He has a terrible headache. He feels like his body is burned, but not just outside burns, like inside. everywhere. Totally. Everywhere burns. He's lying on his back. He opens his eyes. He tastes metal in his mouth. He's on some sort of raised, elevated metal table. And there's a big light above him. He's like, oh, obviously I'm in a hospital. No, he's not. Obviously he's not. He's still in his work clothes. Why would they leave you in all your work clothes if you were at the hospital? Also, his clothes are pushed up to reveal his like stomach and chest. There's a metal device on him. There's doctors around him. Wait, I should say what he presumes to be doctors. And they're wearing orange jumpsuits, which is a weird outfit for a doctor. Hey, they're not. They're not scrubs. He makes eye contact with one of them. And he's like, wait a minute. You're bald. Your head is weirdly shaped and white with giant brown eyes the size of quarters. It's like, remember the teeny tiny creepily I did about black eyed kids? It's that. It's that. No white. No pupil. They have pinkish footwear. They all have small feet. He would put them at a size four. Seems like he's really it's a sample also, size. But their balance incredible. Like on tiny little feet, these bodies can Beautiful. balance gorgeous. No fingernails. Don't like that. What do you paint? That should have been his first question. They have heads of the classic alien variety. Like large, large bulbous Thin. squidward kind of vibe. Yep. Top thin, but we're no <laughs> big on bottom. I'm trying to like picture the. I feel like it's heads. small on bottom, big on top. Yeah, you're right. It's that. What well, he described. Listen, he it saw. was a cartoon saucer. It's cartoon aliens. It's cartoon aliens. It's Thank what you. it is. So he touches one of them and says their skin feels <clears throat> porous, like soft, <gasps> spongy, gross, right? Like a marshmallow. He jumps off the table, freaked the fuck out. Knocks the metal thing off his body and notices that when he knocks it off, there was a green light coming out of it. So what were they doing to him? They were green lighting him. He freaks. He backs away. And they come toward him. And he keeps backing away. And he's like, I'm going to have to attack them. He grabs some sort of cylinder on a nearby table and tries to smash the top of it off to use it as like a defensive no. weapon. But when he smashes it, it doesn't break. But he's he says he yells, keep back, damn you. Which, that's not. That's not what I would say. What he said. That's not what he Who said. Who says that? Keep back, damn you. But I'm like, what movie is this that we're in now? He's pitching it right now. It doesn't know what studio it is, but it's going to be, it's definitely not <laughs> it's A24. Gonna it's it's going to be big. It could be a full HBO series. <gasps> they don't Fun. speak to him at any point, And they, in his words, scurry. They scurry, scurry away. The he was, must have been very scared with that keep back damn you. Yeah, very intimidating. Very he, much Because so. they kept back damn him. Travis peeks into the hall. They're not there, so he's like, look, I'm going to make a run for it. He runs down the hall, finds a room, goes in. There's a chair in the center, and he goes to the chair. No one's in it, but it's like a, it's a, like a bad guy chair. You right. know what I mean? Like a chair totally. with like a remote. And he tries to get the specs of it. And as he gets close to the chair, the light in the room changes. Is it a test? It sort of becomes like planetarium vibes. Okay. So as you get close, it gets, the room gets darker and little specks in the room of light get brighter. The chair sounds really cool. It's got like an arm with all these remotes and buttons. Um, No cup holder, but still. 
Kids would love it. There's a lever. There's a screen. And the screen has he all these... He gets so far into this situation. He was awake. It's not... He didn't get hypnotized to remember this. He remembers this, girl. I know, but what's insane to me is, like, nobody was... Like, if these aliens, like, there's no line of defense. They're like... Bring him on the ship and Let he's just wander. able to like Let wander. the wander. No security. That's so insane to me. He's, he's like, like, he said, damn you. And then he was he free to wander damn the ship. You. And then was like, they were like, you know what? <laughs> you know what? It's yours. Guy, honestly. Do you want the take cockpit? Over. Yeah, go take a look at the cockpit. Cause you clearly, like, that's clearly where he is right now. And they're like, we don't need to lock the door. I really like this story, so you're gonna have to let me tell it. Okay, keep whether going. you like it or not, you're gonna I, have to I'm let me just, tell like, it. I'm just—it's you gotta go. This to, these aliens, their security measures are nothing impressive. Is all I'm saying. So there's a screen on the chair, and there's lines on the screen, and when he hits a button, the lines move. So yes, I think you're right. I think Travis is on an alien spaceship, and he found the control room. And he—the weird thing is that he found the control room. And then he just started hitting buttons. I mean, listen. Well, I'm like, what are you, six? Come up with a better idea of just, like, beep boop bop Well, I mean, also, like, if you're, like, I'm scared, I'm going to do anything I can to get out of here. Like, yeah, I mean, I guess I... I you I, would do that? You would play with the remote of yeah. an alien spaceship? You know, I'd look for the exit, you know. Chance of the exit is in the core of the ship. Get, you know. Would you? Okay. Would you sit in the chair and play with the lever? Because that's what he's about to do. Probably, honestly, at this point, it's like, I wouldn't spend any time. Here's what I wouldn't do. I wouldn't spend any significant time in a room because I'm running away from these creatures. He fiddle faddles, and then he's like, I shouldn't fiddle faddle. Okay. Okay. He hears a noise and turns and sees another human being. What? A human in the doorway. What? That's insane. This dude's hot. Is what's important. He's tall. He's like Dark six foot. Astronaut style helmet. Travis totally. runs up to him and is like giving him the third degree, obviously. He's like, what's going on? This guy does not answer him, but just like takes Travis silent style, like beckons him. And they go back down the hallway. He takes into an airlock that leads to a huge room. And the huge room is weird. It like feels like it could be outside. It's breezy. It feels fresh air. They can see the outside of the ship they were just in and other saucers in that space. Almost like they're outside and they can see other ships. Yeah. They keep going through this, I don't know what to call it, inside-outside room. It's so funny because when I read, a lot of this is on a website, just so you know. ChavisWalton.com. Yeah, and it's his first account, first-hand account. Love, love. One thing I loved about it is that he keeps putting a ton of emphasis on the fact that the doors automatically slid open as though they sensed them as they approached. And I'm like, we have has that this technology? guy not been to a grocery like, store or a Dwayne Reed? <laughs> it's insane that he's like, you'll, Spoiler, we have, you'll never believe the technology. We have that technology on Earth. And I'm like, oh, Travis, babe. Let me give you the address to the local CVS. Let's go. You're going to lose your mind. So he goes into a white room. There's more humans. There's three of them. What? Two more men and a lady. They're super hot. They are flawless, hot bots. And Travis is like, you guys, what's going on? Nobody answers him. They gently escort Travis to a table, try to lie him down again. And before he can fight them... The chick puts an oxygen mask on him and it like drugs him or knocks him out somehow. He's out again. Does he He, think that these um, hot people are the aliens? They like change forms? Totally. Totally. He wakes up on his stomach in west of Herber. Hmm. West of Heber? 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 H-E-B-E-R? Uh-huh. Arizona. Heber, Heber, Arizona, I would say. Okay. He sees a white light near him. And he sees the ship hovering. It's like 40 feet in diameter. It's like, whatever, nine Judy Garlands. It shoots up into the sky. It's gone. It makes no noise as it leaves. He stumbles. He gets up. He starts to run to the road. And he comes upon a gas station. It's closed. Fuck. He keeps running. He finds a payphone. He calls his sister. Her husband answers and he's like, hey, 
brother-in-law. It's Travis. I'm here at the Heber at the Exxon. Um, you got to come get me. Things are weird. His brother-in-law, Grant, is super suspicious that it's some kind of prank. Totally. So Grant is suspicious, drives to his, Travis's brother's house and is like, your brother's being weird. What's going on? Dwayne, Travis's brother, is like, well, we can't risk whether this is a prank or not. We have to go get him. They drive. It's 33 miles. They drive to pick him up. Okay. They get him. And Travis wants to tell them what happened on the drive home, but it's like, what do you even say? How do you how do you start that conversation is a question. Hey, so how do you feel about like extraterrestrial? And so he starts mumbling about like what they look like and how weird it was and he says, I must have been gone a few hours, but I only feel like I like in my memory, it feels like an hour and a half about happened as far as like me clocking time. Totally. They're like Travis, dude. Feel your face, man. He reaches up, and it's pretty beyond five o'clock shadow. He's been missing for five days. <gasps> yeah. That's so scary. In the time he was gone, there was a huge investigation of where he could have been. He was missing, okay? Meanwhile, while he was gone, and all the guys he had been with had to undergo polygraph testing physical psychological tests they're all trying to figure out did these guys do something what happened and they're all being like we saw this thing we don't know what it was and he's gone in the days following whoa the national Enquirer awards him and his co-workers a five thousand dollar prize for best ufo case of the year they all pass polygraph tests right in 1978 He writes the book, The Walton Experience, which talks about all the weird stuff I just told you and is the basis for the 93 film Fire in the Sky. One thing that's interesting is there's this cognitive psychologist, Susan Clancy, who's like, here's the thing. Alien abduction stuff, like reports of this happening, started only after we started seeing films. Totally. About it. So chicken or egg argument, there were movies. We were like, here's a spaceship, here's an alien. Then people started being like, I saw a spaceship, I saw an alien, and describing stuff that was pictured in the movies. Right. I do believe that we are one of millions of galaxies, Mm -hmm. right? Or at least thousands. Mm -hmm. Like, space is a scary fucking thing where it is a big, big big-ass space, and we don't know... Like, our universe or, like, the Milky Way, mm-hmm. that's just fucking one. And yeah. we haven't even figured out if there's life on Mars, which is the next planet over. Mm-hmm. I do believe there is life. I do, too, but it's us. interesting because claims like this tend to coincide. Okay, so, like, Walton's claim, there was an NBC television movie, The UFO Incident. It aired two weeks before he went missing. Right. It's so close. This it's, sounds it's similar very to the odd, teeny tiny right? one that I shared too, mm-hmm. with like the metal object and like around the torso and things like that. What's interesting though are all the witnesses, right? Because he has all these guys he worked with that corroborate it. One of the guys he works with says it affected my life for about two weeks, but I went somewhere no <laughs> then one it was knew fine. me. <laughs> well, he says I went somewhere no one knew me or talked about the event. Four out of five people in town let us know they didn't believe us. It's the opposite now. I realized about three years ago that a lot of people here have had their own experiences. I don't... That's... Tell me more about that. I want more alien stories. So you're just in a town where a ton of people have been abducted. Uh, One of the guys there, Rogers, said he didn't like the media attention and didn't want to talk about it for a long time. He said, we shared an experience that should have bonded us, but we spread out. One of the guys changed his name and hid out for 30 years. I've learned a lot about people from this. I don't know what that means. That's very... Um, ominous sounding. Ominous sounding. I think it's interesting that unlike some accounts we've read, no one later said, this is made up. or Totally. All these guys that came from different walks of life and 
were not close necessarily. They all worked the together, but they all saw the same thing. Travis Walton told the Huffington Post a bunch of interesting things about what they found in the aftermath of this. There was subsequent research in the area that all this happened to him. Mm -hmm. And it showed weird shit. Like unusual growth rate in trees in the immediate vicinity of where this happened to him. Or did they just do a really good job of tree thinning? They're like, you and know the what? vegetation you guys just actually just thing. like actually got better. I mean, it was interesting that that justification. Oh my god, that's so is actually funny. the point that they were trying to. That was the job. They're actually their job. That's a really. Oh my god, that's <laughs> so funny. You just said that because I'm like, oh, that was the whole reason they were there this in the first the place. About 15 years later, it was discovered that the trees nearest to where the UFO hovered had been producing wood fiber at 36 times the rate it had in the 85 years before that. More recently, a complete core sampling revealed that this thickened growth was only on the side of the trees towards or in the direction that the craft had been. Wild. Hi, Matt. Hi, guys. I'm not here. You can ignore me. I just did my story. Carrie's going to do hers. Oh, cool. This isn't a long app. Did you guys have a little bit to drink? Yeah, we're not used to doing drunk episodes. And they're fun. They're for sure fun, but like, it's late for us. It's past our bedtime. I know, we just giggle and talk. Look, you gotta do your story, and then we're done. And then we're done. You feel free to stay. You can go. It's late. All right, rock on, you guys. Okay. Bye. Maybe good night. Thank you. Good night. I'll see you in the room. Oh, yeah. See you, Rumi. (laughs) Meet you in the room, Rumi. Okay, I got this information from an incredible article on Sports Illustrated. The title is Pleasant Colony and the Crown of Thorns. It's really fucking good. It's actually from 2021, so it's a newer article. John Wertheim wrote the story. I also got some information from The Time Magazine. The Time. I got information from Time Magazine, New York Times, and Washington Post. Did I get any on Wikipedia? Let's add Wikipedia because... I feel like I always just you can always it. just thank them. It's a blanket statement. Totally. I use them all the time. So I'm literally doing the whole... I'm doing the story of an OG horse girl. And she's wait. incredible. Her name is Janice Runkle. So she grew up in Detroit. Her families would send, spend summers on Lake Michigan. She's a fellow Midwesterner. That's my girl. Like I said, she was a fucking horse girl. She read about horses. She drew pictures of horses. She wanted stuffed horses over stuffed dolls any fucking day of the week. She preferred being with horses over people. Like any horse girl, she like begged and begged and begged for her pony her whole life. And at 16, she finally got it. Bless. She named the, the little horse Piggy Bank. Cute horse great name. Great horse name. Great, great, great horse name. So she goes to college, she goes to Michigan State, and she gets her um, vet degree, and she graduates in 1976, and all of her other colleagues are setting up internships and things like that to go into the veterinarian field, and she straight up gets like a dream apprenticeship, which it was likened to a Supreme Court clerkship. She gets this job working on Long Island for Mark Gerard. Mark Gerard is the country's top equine vet this guy fucking was the vet who worked with secretariat oh dang even i know who that is so his practice he oversees 400 horses in his practice so like her getting the opportunity to come work her the pay was shit but she gets like all this experience and connections so she moves to long island she has a boyfriend although the boyfriend is in and out because she spends all day at the barn. She wakes up and she gets there by 4.30 in the morning. She's shoveling shit. She's hanging out with these horses. She's fucking doing the work. And at night, she would come home and she would work on her children's book. And you know what the title of her children's book is? Piggy Bank and the Magic Peppermint Penny. It's the perfect title and no one will deny it. She's the only woman out of 20 vets at this location, right? So, like, it is a man's world. Around a year into this apprenticeship, her boss, Mark Gerard, the famous equine vet, he gets into some deep shit. 
I'm okay. going to go a little tangent, but it's worth it just because I think it's interesting. So Mark Gerard is a vet. He has this horse, this horse Laban, who's an under, um, who's an underdog horse. This horse is like not going to win these races. There's no way in hell. The odds against him are 57 to one. Interestingly, Gerard places a bet on him and he places a $1,900 bet and he ends up winning 80,000 because Laban fucking won the race. Oh, dang. However, some shit starts to go down where they're like, huh, this horse looks like another horse who's a champion horse. What happened (gasps) was is Mark Gerard got these two horses, right? He gets um, Laban, he pays $1,600 for it, and he gets Sinsano, and he pays $81,000 for Sinsano. Sinsano is a champion horse. Laban is this underdog horse. And he switches their ties. When it gets worse, they both look so much alike. So he says he gets the horses shipped to him, right? They were in another country. He gets them shipped to him. Oh, my God. He's like... So sad. Sinsano did the like nay high up situation. He hit his head on a fan, and Sinsano dies from a skull fracture. So he's like, Sinsano died. Here's a picture of the horse that died. No vet like confirmed the death of this horse because Gerard is the a fucking good vet. horse. Died. The good horse. I'm using air quotes. The good horse died. The like Laban bad underdog horse is still alive. So good horse is dead. And because Mark Gerard is a vet, they're like, yes, 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 he's dead. So the insurance company pays him out for this dead horse. That was worth tons of money. That was worth tons of money. And then Gerard puts so LeBond. He killed so shitty twin horse. He killed shitty horse. Who, spoiler alert, they find LeBond dead at a dump. Gerard gets charged with three felonies. He uses F. Lee Bailey, who's the t- top criminal defense attorney who represents who's on OJ's team, um, and he does a really good job. He gets him innocent on two counts of felony, and he gets the third count downgraded to a misdemeanor for fraudulent entries in contests of speed. And he only gets one year in jail and a thousand dollar fine. That's it for all of this. That was worth it. He should work it. it totally. Switch the horses and reverse it. So during this trial, Janice, his apprentice, testifies on his behalf. Uh-huh. And she, like, tries to take some blame or is, like, incredibly loyal to Mark Gerard at this time. And in this community, loyalty is a really important currency because it's, like... You're in the fucking know with mm-hmm. horse racing and shit. Okay. And so people recognize that she's fucking loyal and she's chill. There's this like weird, scary looking guy. I imagine like mafia outside mm-hmm. the trial that's like, we won't forget what you did. Careful, careful, careful. Okay. He's disowned basically from the racing community. So Janice Runkle, she buys out his business, inherits his clients. And she's only in her mid-twenties. This horse girl is fucking climbing the rinks. I'm going to introduce this guy, James Campo. James Campo is this, like, small, round guy, big mouth. At 11 years old, he ends up moving to Queens, where his school is facing the aqueduct, where you got your fucking vaccine. And he was obsessed with Roy Rogers. So he would watch horses all day and be like, I'm a horse guy. I got to get out with these equestrian beauties. That's what he would say to himself. <laughs> okay. All right. So he started get out there. He called himself the fat man. So can't he, be a jockey, sir. But. So he totally. So he starts working at the stables and he moves up to like grooming and then he becomes an assistant trainer and then he becomes a trainer extraordinaire. He had a huge mouth, but he knew how to make fucking horses happy. And in 1970, he was like, I'm going to saddle 100 winners in New York. And only one other trainer did that. And again, another fucking tangent. I'll do it's one sentence, but it's worth noting. The other, the one other trainer that did that, that guy murdered his girlfriend, put her in a crate, and ended up getting sentenced to life at Attica. This is a fucking weird group of people. Who are you, horse girls? <laughs> you turn into horse men and horse killers. These horsemen are fucking insane. It's insane. 
So Campo ended up crushing the 100 wins pretty quickly. And after his 101st win, he was referred to as the best trainer in the business. These are our characters. I'm there. Insert the horse du jour, the horse of the day. I know what du jour means. Don't insult us, Gary. (laughs) Okay, so Campo gets a call from this guy. He's like, I gotta tell you something. I got a little information about a horse. He gets this call from this guy, Thomas Messon Evans. He's a Yale grad who works on Wall Street, but he has a passion for horses. Another little side note about this guy, Thomas Messon Evans. His wife, a couple years ago, she shot herself with a shotgun. Three shells, three shells into her chest and one in her neck. She shot herself four times. No, she did not. With a shotgun, and the prosecutor at the time said, "This is nuts." The prosecutor at the time, yes, the prosecutor at the time goes, "You know, rather bizarre circumstances, including several notes." left by the deceased. She killed herself four... T- she shot herself four times and left several notes. This is fucking sketchy. Okay. That's the definition of overkill. What's amazing? It totally... And I haven't even gotten to, like... This story is about Janice Runkle, for the I know. Record. I know we're not even at the punchline, and I'm still like, what in the world is going on? Are you following? Yes, and I... Great. Can't believe it. So the horse is Pleasant Colony. That's the name of this horse. Pleasant Colony has the most promise of all this guy's horses in all of his land. And he's older and he's like, "Ah, this is probably the last chance I'm gonna get at any sort of like winning racehorse situation. He calls Campo and Campo's like, all right, like I'm the best trainer in the land. Let me take a look. So. Two months before the Kentucky Derby, Campo goes out. He brings a veterinarian. You guessed it, Janice Runkle. He brings her out there and she's like, I met this horse and it was like a gorilla. She was like, this is the horse that you think has promise? And so Evans, the horse's owner, brings on Campo to train the horse and Runkle is the veterinarian. And they give this horse like extreme makeover horse edition. (laughs) <laughs> they like change his diet they like change his training and they're like this horse is about to be good and they do it the horse is looking good campo himself even puts a bet it's a 25 to 1 bet for pleasant colony will win the derby and campo is fucking feeling on fuego on fire totally nailing it now also just in case you had any questions you can bet on your own horse. This isn't like, that's not insider trading. You can bet on your own horse. It's like, because it's by chance. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, you can't. Okay. Yeah. yeah, sure. So it's the Kentucky Derby, May 2nd, 1981. Pleasant Colony fucking wins. Campbell's like, wow. yeah, we won fucking easy. Janice Runkle is the first female vet to care for any horse competing at the Derby. And then. Her fucking horse won. Unbelievable. Boom. That's a glass ceiling. Boom, boom. Two glass ceilings. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Glass everywhere. Glass. Be very careful. She There's a so, lot of glass. So much glass. And Campo is finally getting this redemption because he was like pushed aside because he's like a little bit crass and like would whistle at women and just as like a kind of a loud my crazy guy. But he's getting all this like praise because he has this, you know, Kentucky Derby winning horse. So all these stories are coming out about Janice being incredible at her job, being a woman in a man's field and all this stuff. And she's like, I, I'm just doing my job. Like, I just want to be with the horses. And Campo is like, what do you mean? Like, contribute to Pleasant Colony's success? Why would a vet contribute to his success? Like, he's getting a little defensive. Now... You might think these two people are at odds, right? Campo and Runkle. Mm-hmm. Well, they're having an affair this whole time. <gasps> oh. And she's young. He's old. He's got a fucking wife with two sons. Their affair is happening, and Janice's sister will later recall that she takes her sister to get an abortion, and Campo was the father. So... 
Preakness is the next race and Pleasant Colony wins again. So they're like at the height of their career. It's amazing. It's wonderful. And then coming up is the um, Belmont Stakes and like the horse isn't looking good. Like the horse is nervous. It's not a good situation. At this point, Pleasant Colony is sort of like star turn starts to dive and it's not going totally great. Janice at the time is like meeting some other people and she has this affair going on with Campo. But she ends up meeting this guy, Peter Axholm, who's a writer for Newsweek, and he's like a serial dater. They date a couple months, and when Campo finds out, he's really pissed. So on July 25th, 1981, she's having dinner with this guy, Peter Axholm, at a steakhouse in Manhattan. After dinner, she goes to her office at Belmont Racetrack, where she works with the horses. It's just outside of New York. And apparently at that dinner with Peter, she, like, ends the relationship. They're like, we did a couple months. I'm out of it. Thanks, but no thanks. And it was totally amicable. She calls Campo when she gets back to her office. He flies down to New York City. They both fly back to Saratoga Springs. When they're in Saratoga Springs the next day, she has dinner with him. He drives her to the airport where she's supposed to go back to New York City. She gets to the airport and she's like, you know what? No. She buys in cash a ticket to O'Hare, Chicago Airport, under the name M. Clark. She pays $204 ticket cash. She has no idea, and this is back when you could beef a fake name at the airport. She takes her luggage and she's like, send this to James Campo. She flies to... Mm O'Hare, Chicago, where she doesn't know anyone. Mm -hmm. She checks into O'Hare Airport Hilton Hotel, uses the fake name again, pays in cash. She, like, visits the lobby once that night. Mm -hmm. That is the last time anyone sees her alive. Okay. What happened? Do they see her dead? (laughs) Do they see her dead? While she's on the plane, she writes these long, long letters. She writes one to Peter and one to her sister. And I guess when she gets to Chicago, she mails them. It's been a couple days and her family hasn't heard from her. And they're like, where the hell is Janice? This is like wild. We're so used to hearing from her. So they start figuring out something's wrong. Her sister is also based in New York. So her sister goes and visits the Belmont racetrack and she sees her sister's car in a parking spot. She has an extra key, so she goes into the car, and she sees in the trunk a bank statement with instructions to put all that money to taking care of Piggy Bank, her horse. And in the car, she sees a bunch of books that are dog-eared or marked at moments of, like, murder or kidnapping. What? And her sister's like, I think my sister's trying to tell me something. Something's not fucking right. She's trying to communicate by dog-earing books? That's wild. It's pretty wild. That's on Wednesday morning. They see her car. By Wednesday evening, the police call her family. They find her IDs and credit cards and stuff in a trash can about 30 miles north of Chicago at Illinois State Beach Park. Thursday, Axtelm gets this 13-page letter that she wrote while she was on the plane. She writes about Campo. The first two hours he spent threatening to kill both of us, she wrote. Funny part is a couple of years ago, I went out with someone he knew and he hardly batted an eye, though we were even closer than then we are now. She then said, no one understands what a lonely place this world is for me. Whoa. Her sister also received a letter. That was on Thursday. Okay. Saturday night, August 1st, they find her body in Lake Michigan. In her pocket is $3.60, a list of clothes, a hotel room key, and a picture of Piggy Bank, her horse. Her body was pretty far decomposed Mm -hmm. and covered in maggots. In her system, they find a lethal dose of phenobarbital and dilantin, which is usually used to euthanize animals. They find no syringe marks on her. They think she ingested it about an hour before she died. Her body was found along the Illinois shore of Lake Michigan. Um, and she was 28 years old. It is ruled immediately a suicide. So it's all about something getting injected. Was like... She she ingested it. She ingested. Ingested. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. Okay. 
the police have to cut her out of where she's at because she's in the bushes, but there is absolutely no cut marks on her at all. The state's like, it's a suicide. The family is like, there's no fucking way. It's a way. murder. Yeah. There's no fucking way. They're like, she, they're like, well, we got these letters to Peter and her sister and she sounded pretty desolate. And they're like, yes, like maybe she was going through something, but like we've known her forever. Like, what? And I understand this happens with people where they're like, I thought everything was fine, but here are some inconsistencies. She had no connection to Chicago whatsoever. Like, mm-hmm. it makes sense that like, maybe she would use Lake Michigan where her family used to travel. However, they were in the Michigan area. They weren't in the Illinois area. And when Campo finds out that she died, one, he denies ever having an affair with her. He's mm-hmm. like, nope, nope, never happened, never happened. There was nothing untoward between the two of us. And when he called, he was like, well, at least she died where she where she has all these wonderful memories. What? And the family's like, you no. got the wrong state, man. It's like, no, no, no. So they think, like... He did this, and he was and he like... he framed it in a way that he thought he knew her story, and he that's didn't. That's some lazy fucking framing, too. To totally. be like, she did it in this place where she has all these, and they're like, she's never been. <laughs> the family hires a PI. They hire, like, their own autopsy specialist, when the family requested the autopsy, the autopsy says it was an overdose was the cause of death, and they wanted their own pathologist to look at her internal organs, but they were denied access to seeing it. And finally, when the doctor got a private autopsy, he questioned the um, suicide ruling as well. He said she did not go peacefully. <gasps> oh, And that's all that was said about that. They find all of her belongings except her glasses that she wore every day, which... To me, I'm not, like, that's a little bit less of a, oh, because she was in the water. Like, no, her just add it to the mix, you know. though. What people believe actually happened was that she came across some information about Pleasant Colony that would affect his stud value. So, if you don't know, this is what happens. A horse, during um, the Kentucky Derby and all that, these horses are three years old. What happens is, is if you win it... That's the beginning of it. And then they beca- they go out to stud, which is they sire a bunch of horses. And usually that's where the fees come in because they're trying to breed the next winner. Right? And so if you have any sort of like issues or def- deformities or anything, that's going to affect your stud value. It's like Tillamook. Exactly. Exactly. Tillicum. Tillamook is a cheese. Tillicum is the orca. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You got me there. The day before Pleasant Colony was supposed to run his final race, he was withdrawn by Campo, saying that the horse suffered a training injury. However, the day before, when he was supposed to be out training, the horse never went out. No one could corroborate that the horse left. Why lie? So Campo finds out she's dead, and then we asked, um, will you go and attend her funeral? And he just wrote, I'll send her a bunch of flowers. So he sends the biggest bouquet, her sister said, that they've ever seen. It was a downward-facing horseshoe, covered in flowers. At her funeral, remember I mentioned Mark Gerard's trial, and there was like a scary mafia guy waiting Mm -hmm, outside? mm -hmm. He's there. He's there. Yeah, of course. All right. He's there outside. Got it. Totally got it. Her children's book, Piggy Bank and the Magic Peppermint Patty, was scheduled for publication the winter of 1981. She wanted to be a writer because she said, nobody is going to remember a vet at Belmont Park. At her funeral, her sister read a poem that Janice wrote, and I'm going to close with this. It's called I of the Protagonist. Come closer while I whisper out our favorite story, the tale of the ermine flowers and how the meadow bloomed evilly with them, wiping pure physical beauty across the landscape like cold paint, defacing human values with every brush stroke. I don't totally know what that means, but I'm just going to say... But it's, it's a good of, poem. It's a good poem. We'd enough to know... To know it, but it sounds nice. We're smart enough to know... That it's a good one. That it's a good one. Well, I think what's interesting about this is she said that Janice, when she was alive, she was like, nobody will remember a vet from Belmont Park. Wow. And that's wrong. We all remember this. We remember you. Part. Thank you for telling it. You're so really, welcome. Really... She was only 28. Like, she was a child. She was so young and, su- at such and so a, innocent. 
so innocent and it's such like an incredible part of her life and career and she was like her dream job she was like playing with horses all day that's a really sad story thank you all right you have to go to bed i mean here's the thing we have to go to bed because if time has taught us anything it's that time's against us i have to stay up and work a little bit you are gonna stay up Mm-hmm. Holy guacamole. I was well, supposed to work three hours and I worked for 1.3. Enjoy sleeping with my family. You know I'm going to. <laughs> I get to go up and sleep in a bed by myself. Here I go. Goodbye. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so excited for you. Okay, we got to go so that Quinn gets like the full because what if tomorrow night you don't get it? Okay, goodbye. I'm going to only leave you with everything. <laughs> Good night, Quinn. I'm going to take my phone in this. Go the fuck to bed. But good night.